All right, hello and welcome to Realcom's third installment in the Smart Building Showcase series. I'm Chuck Nicewanger, president of NiceNets Consulting, your Realcom guest host for today's webinar, Developing a Smart Real Estate Portfolio at Scale. Thank you for tuning into the live session or viewing this as a recording. It's the at scale part that will be of particular interest to those of you tuning in today. And this panel has a ton of experience in that area. so. Just saying, you may want to take some notes. But before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items to help you have a great webinar experience. First of all, thank you to our live attendees. We do encourage you to use the Q&A box at the bottom left of your screen to submit questions or comments. We'll try to get to all the questions today during the webinar, but if they don't get answered during the discussion, we'll follow up with you once the event is concluded. You also find today's presentation and the ones from the first two sessions along with presenter bios in the handout section of the GoToWebinar control panel. And for the best experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos. Don't watch those. You'll, you'll, have much, you'll get much better information watching us. If you're experiencing any technical issues with connectivity, sound, video quality, the best thing to do is just disconnect and then click on the webinar link again you can also email Sarah Bemperad at S-B-E-M-P-O-R-A-D at realcom.com for help during the event, but don't worry, you won't miss anything because you'll receive a recording shortly in just a couple of days. This educational webinar is supported by our outstanding sponsors. Facilio unifies building operations data and helps drive efficiencies by automating enterprise-wide operations and maintenance workflows using its cloud-based data and application platform. Prescriptive data focuses on smarter, sustainable, and more profitable operations working with the world's top real estate innovation teams to solve their biggest challenges. Turntide Technologies invents and scales breakthrough technologies to optimize how humanity uses energy. Fast track your organization toward net zero. Willow empowers asset owners and operators to make proactive data-led decisions in real time through the power of Willow Twin. Unlock the power of your building data. We are grateful for all these contributions by these vendors to our industry, to Realcom, and to educating our viewers in sessions like these. Since you are tuned into the webinar to learn more about smart buildings at scale, I recommend including these companies as part of your vendor evaluation process if you're on that path. And finally, our moderator is Tom Shercliffe. He's co-founder and principal of Intelligent Buildings, smart building professional services offering portfolio-wide cybersecurity site assessments and monitoring. Welcome, Tom. Thank you, uh, Chuck. I appreciate that. Thanks for hosting and, and uh, good to see you today. And I, I can assure you, Chuck, I've turned off all streaming over here. Good for you. All right. We've got a lot of ground to cover, so I'll get out of your way and join you at the end. Thanks. Oh, you bet. Thanks. Uh, so again, folks, welcome to uh, developing a smart real estate portfolio at scale, as Chuck was emphasizing. And I think this is a, it really is a more timely topic than even a few years ago uh, when you could argue we were still dealing with more point solutions and even a per building mindset. Um, you could look at the uh, case studies and the, even the Realcom showcase examples. A lot of them were just really great buildings. And uh, now we're in more of a time of what we call uh, inch deep and a mile wide approach. People really looking at the portfolio almost first and, um, you know, this uh, this scale approach could be another uh, 
silver lining from the pandemic, if you will, and that you know the whole industry was forced to deal with, uh, say, hybrid work, for example, when it was about your whole company or portfolio. Uh, and now we're uh, seeing uh, more healthy building requirements for the return to work, such as indoor air quality across any building uh, that an employee might go to. We're seeing um, occupant experience, very important in a tight labor market to attract and retain. Uh, and of course, you always want financial and sustainability performance across the entire portfolio. So, and then one uh, other thought is that um, uh, a trend affecting this is that what you see in the news about cybersecurity. Again, so just to summarize all that, you don't want a healthy space in some of your buildings. You don't want a good experience in one region. You don't want cybersecurity in half your buildings. Uh, so these these uh, issues and trends really show us why scale is important. Uh, so with that uh, little bit of uh, introduction, I want to really jump right into the panel, uh, as Chuck said, we've got a great panel, and I'm going to go ahead and introduce our first one, and we're going to start with uh, Kathy from Google, who is a uh, chartered professional engineer and technical program manager at Google. She leads an internal program to make Google's buildings smart. Uh, she's also very I can tell you very well known and respected in smart buildings and the Realcom community. I'm humbled to say she's a friend and look forward to your thoughts on this, Kathy. Thanks, Tom. Um, thanks for the introduction. Um, thank you, everyone, and, and welcome to the session today. So uh, I wanted to talk today about uh, how Google is is doing this. Uh, so one of the key things that um, I'd recommend starting is really understanding global objectives. When you're looking globally, uh, the objectives can be very different depending on the country, the region, the stakeholders, the you know the, whether the people in the building, the people operating it. Uh, and so unless you understand the overall scale, you have clear metrics, success criteria, and basically a clear vision. Uh, for all people to want to go towards, you're going to consistently struggle with prioritization. Uh, there's so many different priorities and uh, so many different ways you can go and um, very limited resources. So uh, this is one of the keys uh, is understanding the scale and, and what the global uh, impact is. And foundational to that, as Tom mentioned, is, is cybersecurity. You can't really deliver any of the objectives without cybersecurity being core uh, to the strategy as well. So one of the ways we're doing it is really taking a horizontal approach to buildings. Uh, so where we can ensure any device can work with any application uh, that you want it to or, or vice versa. We don't want complicated integrations or having to specifically say this device will only work with this application unless there's specific security reasons around it. So uh, kind of going bottom to top in this approach uh, at the device level, it's really about driving common standards um, uh, across the different manufacturers, device types and different things. So this could be anything from cybersecurity to connectivity to how the data is structured, uh, but also even things like how devices are updated and how devices are, and how devices are managed and manageability of those devices. Uh, unless we have consistency across them, it becomes really difficult to operate and manage at scale. Uh, the next layer is really your connectivity layer and this is where it's it's so important to work with IT and security to make sure they've built something that works for IoT and for for building systems which can be quite different with legacy protocols and uh, and and you know coming from a different world uh, so it's really important to work together come up with a strategy that allows the connectivity that you need to allow every building to be able to connect 
uh, next level up is is the data lake or digital building platform or digital twin or lots of different people call it different things but really it's where you collect every all your data from your devices where you understand uh, how what the devices are and what there is so you have the ontology you understand the space um, and then you you really drive insights whether that's through rules or ml or ai whatever you want to do um, for us that's all built on google cloud and that's the the digital building platform and that infrastructure really those three layers are what then enables the value which is, is what's going to be driven through the top what you plug in the applications the systems the user interface whatever you need to do um, that's where you're going to be able to access it but really unless you've got all four layers you won't be successful in, in uh, my experience so um, some key lessons learned on this um, so starting as i mentioned with the global strategy uh, IT infrastructure um, and, and what you want to do. Uh, what we've found and what we've had to do as part of this is to build new teams and new partnerships. So to create new relationships within the company, um, build new teams with new skill sets um, and, and new visions. So we understand we have a digital building team, we have an IT team that specifically looks at IoT and, and how those can be operated globally. And that really changes um, you know, how companies are, are structured around this space. Another key aspect is procurement and installation. So this world this, uh, is so different depending on where you're looking at. So you could be looking at building management systems or lighting control. You could be looking at food systems or um, even outdoor systems like irrigation. Every single one of these could be introduced in a different way through a different team. They could be through a greenfield, it could be brownfield, it could be a landlord building, it could be a owned building. And what we've found is we've had to come up with a strategy that allows the option depending on the different type of building so starting a project starting you know right at the start when you're looking at procurement or, or, or project you have to follow certain steps and then that allows you to to go down a different path depending on which ones so that you have the flexibility depending on what the space is and then as you go further you can choose whether you need extra consultants um, on the projects uh, and whether the building will be um, a showcase or new or whether it's going to follow the standards of all the other buildings so really um, creating the process and standards to understand procurement and installation is really important to be able to drive consistency and that really leads on to operations um, to be able to show uh, value at scale there has to be some kind of strategy some kind of consistency in the way devices are connected and um, some consistent way to be able to operate that infrastructure. So whether that's uh, ways to update devices, whether that's process, um, manual or automated, uh, and really driving down to things like vulnerability management, you know, what, are, what is happening with those devices, where are they, and who is looking after them, and making sure that there's accountability for all people as part of the, the building and the infrastructure. And that really uh, leads to continuous improvement, like with anything, uh, and, and especially in this market, everything is constantly changing. There's new technology coming out every day. There's new standards, there's new business outcomes and objectives. And so having a continuous feedback loop of operations, um, of technology changes, of reviewing what's happening in the market, of new um, skill sets that might be needed is, is really key to, to kind of bringing it back um, and ensuring that you stay ahead and are able to deliver this. So just sort of in, in summary, digital buildings is, is a journey um, that you go on. It's not going to be, you're not going to be able to deliver 
digital buildings or smart buildings everywhere at once immediately. It's something that you have to work on with lots of different stakeholders, build the skill sets, build the teams, build the relationships and, and work together on a, on a long-term strategy where you will have wins along the way. Um, one of the things we've found quite successful is delivering um, uh, like major projects to smart ready rather than smart. Uh, so this isn't can, always the case, but in a lot of ways, if you're delivering software and delivering a lot of the infrastructure as part of the construction, you're putting uh, technology into a construction project five years sometimes before it's actually um, purchased. A lot of the technology goes old and also it makes it really hard to drive that consistency, consistent operations across um, different buildings and different platforms. So being able to build the sort of three bottom three layers of the stack or even you know connecting into the digital building platform as part of the construction and then adding on the smart after the building is opened can really uh, make a big difference to how you deliver and how you can scale. Uh, as I mentioned, this uh, new world also brings lots of new skill sets in companies and consultants and, and across different organisations. And uh, really technology, there's so much technology there, but being able to drive it in a horizontal way um, so that you can enable uh, integration and communication between all the manufacturers as well as operability and, and manageability uh, is really important. So that was really all I wanted to say. Um, Tom? Kathy, I am tingling over here because you said a couple of things here that I, I think are not only important to scale and portfolio, but to the whole smart building effort and the whole community. And, and I'd like to get your reaction. I've got some, some more general questions I want to get to, if you don't mind. But um, I'd like to for you clarify and reemphasize the idea that uh, you said uh, I was smart buildings are really more at first about being smart ready or creating the, uh, I'll paraphrase and say, and creating sort of the smart capability and then uh, your use cases and, you, and what you do comes on top of that. And I feel like so many times people jump to the end. I wanna stick this widget in, I wanna connect that thing over there and rather than enabling uh, across the portfolio or even a building, and could you just, just touch on that again, how you arrived at that, wait a minute, we have to have this stack process. And even if we only got two layers of the stack, maybe we're in a good place. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, so some of, some of what we found is when we were trying to deliver smart on buildings, the, um, the software was delivered and was obsolete by the time it was opened or it wasn't what we wanted because um, the, you know, construction companies are not often the software experts um, to be able to deliver it. So uh, what we found was really working with the, the skill sets of the, the people installing who understand sensors and controllers and, and really um, building the infrastructure. So whether that's um, just the, all the, the actual sensors and infrastructure itself, whether it's actually just creating like uh, the IT infrastructure and uh, ways to be able to plug in the devices and things, um, really driving things like ontology and data and how things are set up and communicating, um, connecting it to cloud um, and, and having it enabled at construction, but then um, being able to drive the value later. I think, you know, it is important to make sure you do get the value later and you understand what you're getting, as I mentioned, the business objectives, because unless you know that, you don't know all what you're going to install in the bottom layers. But being able to add it and plug it in later, then you can just every building that comes online, you plug it into you know the application that's available. And it's fantastic. And then and you also said in there and in your presentation about the process of doing it. So one is the concept enable and then build up. And then I took from from your slides that that process and 
what we all observed early on in the movement, so to speak, was just, again, sticking things in and not considering what happens in real buildings every day, like the workflow and the contractors and the and the property manager and these things, you know, can undo the best laid plans. And how did you, did, did that kind of, you have that realization as well and really had to go through sort of not only the development process, but the facility and property management process to figure out how the technology will work in there? Yeah, so, yeah, so we started off with, um, you know, individual buildings uh, and, and, you know, it's a long time when you're constructing them as well. So um, did a lot of lessons learned and sort of documented all the steps we had to take, the roles, the um, built role descriptions for the next one, tested it, um, trialled it, um, built it. We now have a, a very detailed step-by-step -step process for each step in the construction process that you can uh, used to be able to build all the different types of buildings I mentioned. Um, so depending on, you know, if it's landlord or owned or greenfield or brownfield or whatever, it, it can follow a different process. Uh, and then once we've got all of that in place, um, it's then about obviously yeah, how that will be handed over and, and who will operate it and how it's operated. Well, and you said, and building off of that, you said um, uh, common standards uh, when you were talking about, uh, I presume, some technology, but how do you do this at scale with regard to contractors, property and facility managers, or do you have limited numbers? Do you have hard requirements? Do you have to coach them? I mean, you're a big, you're a global company. How do you, how do you deal with the different, I mean, not everybody property manages, not one company manages all your buildings across the world. How do you, how do you deal with that? So sort of all of the above, really. Um, so um, yeah, we have standards, we have uh, global standards, we run training um, sessions uh, for and informational sessions and um, we have videos recorded on, on how we want things done. Um, we uh, also work with different companies. Obviously, if we have good experiences, they, they get more work. Um, the, uh, the big thing that I would say is the problem is skill set shortage is, is that because we're doing this in so many different places, trying to find all the right people that have the skill sets, depending on, you know, which different area, because there's so many different parts, whether it's design or installation or operations. Um, and, and what I would say as well is we're still learning as well. Like every every single day um, something new comes up, we're still learning. We we find out about new technology or new way of doing something or a new way of operating and and we consistently update um, our standards to, to do that. And that can also be a very slow process when you've got so many stakeholders and reviews. But at least, um, yeah, once the process is there, you can at least push it. Okay, so related question to that about, you know, obviously your Google and data, you know, you, you even had, you know, a data layer and data lake and those kind of things, but kind of, well, related to the, all these different contractors or property management, how do you get data-driven decision-making going consistently? Is that just Google people or are you, or is it all AI or how, you know, because data comes up, now I have, I'm more informed. How do you make the decision-making consistent? So I'd say we, we haven't solved that problem yet. Um, so we have uh, the data in, uh, you know, we get the data collected in one place, um, but because of the variety of different uh, people, and this is, you know, everything, not just facility managers, but, you know, if we've got food operators, we've got, you know, people that are working in lots of different areas. So, um, so yeah, so we haven't really solved that yet. Um, at the moment, we'd have different, sometimes different um, campuses might be running in different ways. Well, that, that makes a lot of us feel a lot better when Google hasn't solved the data-driven decision-making quite yet. So there, there's hope for all of us, right? 
<laughs> so I got a couple more questions, and I also just wanted to let the audience know that uh, uh, we've structured this session today so that we have more opportunity and time to, to have the panelists get the questions immediately following their presentation so you get the most value and deep dive on what they're trying to communicate. So by design here. So uh, a little bit more broad couple questions here. Uh, one is, and this may be a little cliche, but it's I think a lot of people are wrestling with it. How are you balancing uh, uh, building performance and sustainability against the obvious uh, need for healthier building, indoor air quality, more air turnover, these kind of things, which can, is, are you are you balancing that or have you prioritized or what, what's that conversation look like? Yeah, so I mean, that is definitely um, a conversation that happens on every project because it is different depending on the location and, and what the drivers and the factors are. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I can't really answer generically because it is a different discussion depending on the building. Um, but, you know, Google's made it very clear that we're um, doing both really. Um, and, and we've you know mentioned it, the carbon 2030 goals and, and other goals. So. Yeah, wow. I mean, that's uh, I think that's what most people are saying. It's it's a false choice. It's both. But it but it takes even more sophistication, it seems like, uh, to, to do both. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a couple more here. So I'm, I want to uh, widen out even a little bit further. So, you know, what just can give your feedback on when we think about digital buildings at portfolio at scale, what, what have been the biggest challenges or hurdles to, to deal with? Just so folks that are sitting there now think I had a couple cool buildings, but I've got a portfolio and here I go. What, what should they be ready to deal with? So, um, so cybersecurity, I think, is one people always bring up. Um, and I think the uh, particularly the building management industry has sort of jumped on this uh, more recently and has, has picked up. And so there is more options there. But when you're looking at IoT in general across all different types of different systems, um, it's, it's much harder to say this is the minimum bar. And what I would also say around that is it's I think it's important that we all start asking for at least the same minimum bar. Obviously, people can ask for a higher level, um, but being able to consistently say this is the bar that everyone needs to meet will then help drive um, more people and more companies to get to that. Um, the second is is operations. So we talked about the per building approach and how difficult um, that can be uh, being able to scale globally and consistently, um, you have to have um, IT operation practices in place. And so that's been, you know, one of the key things working with the IT partners on, on how to do that. Um, and this can be quite difficult with different regulations and countries. So you can't just pick one company and one manufacturer. You have to be able to work across companies and manufacturers, which is why things like um, managing updates and manageability is so important as well. Um, skill sets gap is another huge challenge. So we talked about having to create new teams and new roles um, and trying to find those skill sets in, in so many different places and countries is, is, is hugely um, challenging. Uh, and then, yeah, the last one is really alignment. Um, because it's global, um, there's different uh, priorities in different countries. And so being able to, to drive those um, and also drive the other things, cybersecurity operations and um, skill sets makes it quite difficult. Yeah, and, and just maybe on the cybersecurity, uh, so folks know, especially because you're Google, um, it, it uh, I, I, we all know it's not just, you know, switches and routers and firewalls and all the things that we all think about IT cybersecurity, but uh, we did an analysis on one of our customers and for, for, a hun for every hundred buildings, they had a, approximately 3,000 individual technicians, I like to say, touching their stuff. 
Um, and to that point, you can you can be as Google as you want in terms of cybersecurity, but have you had to convey requirements and policy down to the contractor level since they're the ones interfacing with the systems every day? Has that become a little bit more of a policy thing as much as it is a high tech thing? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of this is policy and process um, more than it is technology. I think technology is actually um, probably there's a lot of products and things on the market, but people and process and skill sets are all, all very new and different. And so, so coming up with policy and ways to, to do that absolutely is, is key. And I think even with cybersecurity as well, it's, it's about the different layers. So not just IT and putting in firewalls, but actually making sure the devices themselves are secure, software itself is secure, the, the IT is and sort of looking at all aspects of the system. Yeah, that's uh, just an editorial comment. That is something we've observed uh, so much expertise around sort of IT oriented cybersecurity. And when you try to apply that as a blanket into the facility world uh, and the OT world, it, 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 it's, not, it's not enough, if not even sometimes make, makes things worse because of the differences. But I've got a, uh, one or two more questions from the audience and I'm trying to get to them. Maybe we'll just ask this last one. Uh, you alluded to um, earlier the, uh, idea that you know technology changes and you're kind of enabling and like if you just picked a horse you know the software is obsolete by the time the building's built those kind of things how, how do you deal with that obsolescence issue is it do you plan on on a foundation that allows for that constant change or just how do you deal with the you know uh, technology uh, obsolescence yeah, so so um, so planning on foundational changes, putting uh, points in the construction project that are later to make the technology decisions. Um, trying to split hardware versus software decisions um, in in the um, construction process, and then as I said, ones that aren't critical to a building's functioning. So ones that are more about smart, um, trying to bring them in as a as, as a global connectivity rather than doing it individually. No, that's that's that that's really helpful. And Kathy, I, I we could we could ask you questions for the whole session. So I, I really, really appreciate not only today, but all that you give back to the industry by having these kind of conversations and sharing your experiences. Very important folks. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. You too. You bet. Um, all right. Well, let's, uh, we're going to jump into our next uh, panelist. It's uh, Raj from Facilio, who's also been uh, in the industry a while and is, is, is well known to a lot of folks. And, uh, he is the co-founder and CPO of Facilio, Facilio, where he heads its product strategy and is com uh, committed to making it easier for property stakeholders to maintain and operate large real estate portfolios across geographies. Very apropos today, Raj. Um, and I can personally attest that, as I said, that Facilio has been, been around a long time in this space and adapted and refined uh, what they do. And uh, we, were, we especially appreciate that, uh, that perspective. Raj, thank you. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for the introduction and kind words. Um, uh, just uh, um, uh, as an uh, introduction to the company, uh, uh, we've been around for over five years now. It's a cloud IoT uh, platform for property operations at uh, portfolio scale. Um, and uh, um, we backed by tier one investors like Axel and Tiger Global and one of our customers, uh, Brookfield, uh, as well and deployed in over 100 million square feet um, in across multiple countries um, and yeah so for this session uh, uh, we're specifically talking about uh, scaling um, smart building 
uh, approaches and solutions, right? So, and uh, I want to, uh, before I get into uh, the, the solution side of things, uh, uh, I want to talk about how, you know, how uh, uh, traditionally this has been done, right? So Tom touched upon it and, and typically uh, most of these solutions are point solutions are, you know, buildings, uh, uh, solutions that are designed and deployed uh, at a single building level, uh, like traditionally, you would take uh, a PMS type of a platform, like a Metasys or a Niagara or something like that, and build on top of that, uh, based on system integration and all of that. You know, uh, delivering a project that works at a single building. And if you have to scale that, either that gets replicated, uh, templatized and replicated, uh, uh, which bring has its own challenges. You end up with still multiple siloed uh, systems that only work at a building level. Uh, uh, apart from replicating the work that you have to do in each of these things, right? Um, whereas in contrast, uh, when you when you look portfolio scale and uh, when you're thinking about smart portfolios instead of smart buildings, um, the 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 capabilities that you need for such a, a solution and the use cases that you're trying to solve. Uh, at portfolio scale, uh, is uh, it's a little bit different, uh, right? So, uh, whereas in a, a smart building solution like a, a BMS or some some point solution, uh, it's more focused on it can be an on-prem solution. It's typically an on-prem type of a software, uh, very technician and uh, engineer-oriented. Uh, has uh, focuses a lot on hardware integration and bringing uh, systems data in and delivering uh, use cases there. Whereas in enterprise scale and portfolio scale applications, it's uh, more application integration. You may have to uh, bring in data from your ERP and CRM and uh, things like that, or your Active Directory integration for uh, employee data if you're delivering use cases for occupants and employees. Uh, it needs to have big data capabilities because you're collecting large amounts of data from across all of the portfolio um, to do analytics and to do those data-driven uh, decision-making. Uh, and also engage multiple stakeholders. You're not just uh, uh, catering to uh, engineers and uh, uh, technicians, right? Here it could be occupants, uh, contractors, uh, executives who need visibility into what's happening. Uh, so those the the use cases and the capabilities are fundamentally different, right? And that typically means the kind of solution that you have to go for um, because it is multi-site. Um, you know, a cloud native solution uh, uh, really fits the bill. And in, in, in that case, uh, uh, right, it's, uh, uh, IoT and cloud becomes the enabling technology to deliver a smart portfolio uh, 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 solution. Um, and uh, beyond, uh, and there are fundamental things that Kathy touched upon in the different layers uh, she presented, right? Uh, uh, but the data and application layer, I'll, 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 I'll touch more on the data and application layer. So this uh, smart portfolio solution needs to needs data from all of the buildings. So the, the data integration part of it is uh, very critical. And once you brought all the data and normalized all the data, it doesn't stop there, right? So uh, you you have to uh, uh, think about use cases and how you're going to deliver value from that data, and that's usually through application use cases. So that's where uh, you know uh, things like uh, uh, Tom asked about how do you uh, 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 have those data insights uh, uh, drive contractor uh, value or something like that, right? So for multiple stakeholders, you need to have different applications. Uh, and for that reason, the solution that uh, the cloud-based solution that we're talking about uh, has to be able to deliver 
uh, integrate with multiple systems and applications because uh, you, you can't uh, possibly have one system that solves for all use cases, but uh, it should be able to integrate with different applications and uh, different stakeholder applications. Um, and uh, it needs to be flexible enough for you to kind of uh, uh, build upon uh, the infrastructure, the application and data infrastructure to deliver more value uh, based on use cases. And talking about uh, use cases, there are, there can be like uh, uh, you know you you can't even imagine the number of use cases that you could possibly do with this kind of a, a system. And uh, we are only scratching the surface with uh, the energy efficiency and uh, visibility and benchmarking and things like that are even um, uh, indoor air quality and uh, stuff like that. But uh, these are some examples of uh, use cases that are. Um, very apparent, right? So you can, um, you know, starting with the, um, like a data layer or a data lake, uh, uh, we, we talk about this, uh, but also portfolio level benchmarking. Once you have all the data, there are some data driven insights that can be really valuable, uh, but also you can go beyond uh, just visibility and monitoring to uh, drive efficiencies, right? So that can be like, you can, uh, once you have, uh, uh, the data integrated and the system data integrated, it need not be just capturing data. You know, the cloud platform or a cloud solution can also go back and command those systems, right? And, uh, uh, there is some, um, like most of the protocol, like especially the HVAC and uh, the BMS, there are backnet like protocols that actually enable write back, uh, uh, right? So once you have that infrastructure deployed, you can actually make uh, deploy use cases that can drive uh, use cases like uh, uh, ramp up, ramp down optimization or automated demand response for energy savings or simple things like, you know, when you don't have somebody in the room, you know, you can turn up the lights or turn down the set points, those kind of uh, uh, things, right? So there are a lot of use cases, uh, but here are some of those. Uh, the, the solution at a portfolio scale uh, should be able to cover or uh, uh, enable you to deliver across those use cases. Um, this is just an example. Uh, see this, uh, there are some formatting issues here, but uh, this is just a quick uh, case study. Uh, one of our customers in Europe, uh, commercial real estate portfolio that manages over uh, 20 million square feet, deployed a, a, a cloud uh, a data and application solution uh, based on Facilio to deliver uh, integrations across uh, multiple uh, base building systems, but also sensors and bring all that data and uh, uh, you know, integrate that data with uh, uh, CMMS and building information model and uh, th you know applications like that, or even their room booking and visitor management applications um, to deliver uh, outcomes around visibility and benchmarking. They want to know what the, where their buildings are in terms of all of these systems data that uh, they have to uh, bring to a single pane of glass, but also drive. Uh, um, outcomes in terms of uh, 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 optimization uh, of their portfolio, right? So that's using the room booking data to optimize HVAC uh, or lighting or occupant com uh, comfort kind of uh, outcomes. So that's uh, uh, really the case study here. But in summary, uh, um, you know, it, there are, uh, you know, you don't have to be like a Google or Microsoft of the world to actually think about smart portfolios, right? There are solutions out there uh that can actually work with the existing building and may not be just new construction uh as well so it can work with the existing buildings and deploy uh um use cases uh that can actually create a smart portfolio for you tom 
Well, thank thank you for that. Uh, really interesting, and it spurred spurred a few questions from the audience and, and a couple if you, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. Maybe I start with this one. You know, you, you touched on this a little bit, but but if you can just clarify you know, some use cases um, that are really different from a building level to a portfolio level, right? Because everybody gets analytics, that's cool and powerful and somebody has to do it, but it's a whole different thing when you've, you've trained a small team, they're focused on your building, I'm really dialing it in. Just again, a little bit more about the use cases that go from there to a portfolio, if you could. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, uh, once once you're thinking portfolio level, uh, right, the optimization that you can drive through uh, portfolio scale solutions, uh, uh, can be like there are multiple things right so once uh, again it really depends on uh, certain buildings and regions so you can uh, do things like uh, automated demand response if uh, the the in, you know the utility companies actually uh, provide those kind of uh, uh, solutions there for for those regions uh, but uh, simple things like uh, uh, tying your occupancy data to uh, uh, HVAC optimization or scheduling, uh, right? So you, you don't have to run your HVAC on lighting when there are nobody in the building, uh, right? But typically that is very hard to, it's, it's easy to say that, but it's so hard to do that when you are thinking single building, right? So because uh, it's one thing to actually, of course you have to go and deploy all those sensors, but the integration challenge to actually make that happen uh, and work with multiple uh, systems at the building level, uh, right? You may have different automation systems. If we have to go and do a set point override based on occupancy data, you were talking about integrating that occupancy data with all of those systems that you have individually at the building level, right? So it's much better and you can achieve much better scale and efficiency by uh, uh, imagining the solution at a cloud level where the cloud solution can have uh, individual uh, integrations with all these building systems and all the data is already available. Now, any new integration can actually happen uh, as a, based on a cloud to cloud interface or something like that for occupancy data. And then you can drive outcomes across the portfolio that way, uh, right? So it's instead of just imagining uh, uh, or finding solutions at a building level, when, when you start thinking portfolio, there are the multiple options that open up. So, and, and I'm going to say something obvious, but even though it was a portfolio-wide use case description, it still had to be implemented at the building, uh, whether it's AI or not, it has to be put in. So, um, it spurred a uh, kind of a weird question, but the building management systems, you hear so much about them being in the cloud too, right? Now, does that help for sort of mass implementation? Is that real? Where, where is that relative to your use cases, but also in the industry, if you could? Yeah, so that that's what people have uh, been doing that, right? So whenever they wanted multi-site portfolio solution, uh, and because uh, BMS uh, platforms have been the uh, de facto uh, platform of choice for integration and building use cases, uh, they've automatically just uh, uh, deployed like a Metasys or a Desigo or a Niagara system at the at a multi-site level and started doing these things, right? But uh, the fundamental uh, problem there is these systems are actually designed uh, for, uh, like we talked about smart building and smart portfolio. Like smart portfolio needs are different. You have to have, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, integrations with your enterprise scale applications, right? So like if you have to do, say, for example, go from condition-based maintenance to predictive maintenance or, uh, uh, sorry, plan preventative maintenance 
happens to condition-based or predictive maintenance, right? That means not just capturing the data and finding insights from the data, but integration with your CMMS or work order system to trigger those uh, maintenance work orders and delivering it to contractors, right? So these BMS platforms have not been like not built for those kind of. Uh, it's not a, a cloud-native uh, platform built for integrations uh, for capturing. Uh, these application data sets and business data that that you really need to drive those outcomes, right? So it, it good uh, with uh, system level integration. But uh, I agree, you have to do uh, before thinking uh, data and application. Um, uh, in Kathy Stack, you saw the device and the connectivity side of things, right? So that has to be in order. But um, uh, again. So, because uh, there are like protocol level standardizations that has happened uh, over the last couple of decades in buildings, it's it's not a hard problem to solve. You can actually deploy a simple data capture uh, uh, software that can talk BACnet or OPC kind of protocols to capture that information. That's right. And and one one final question, maybe short answer, and and you can decline to answer if you want, Raj. Um, be, because you've been in this for a while and and we've seen the industry change and even talking about BMS cloud and, you know, going from building this portfolio, do, do, how would you categorize your business? And again, if you, if you don't want to, that's fine, but it used to be that there was FDD, fault detection diagnostics, then there was dashboards, then there's trend analyzers, then... Are you in a category, and not as much of a commercial, but for everybody to kind of understand how things have changed, or or is it really just a a use case conversation? You're not in a category. Uh, no, we we have to be in a category, but uh, we're not a point solution, right? We take a platform approach, uh, so we actually have a CMMS solution and a fault diagnostic solution and. Uh, uh, analytics and we solve multiple uh, use cases that that's the where the platform approach uh, so but we also sell for individual categories so we sell like 50 percent of our customers are cmms customers right so we sell a connected cmms product a connected retail and a connected building solution so it's uh, it's if i have to define the category it would be connected category but uh, yeah no then that's buildings. A, and that's a really good perspective for everybody out there who's thinking about a portfolio uh when you talk to people like raj or others in our panel uh, maybe there's a particular portfolio-wide thing you're trying to do, and, and they can help you do that. And it might be in one of multiple categories, and eventually it could roll up. But Raj, thanks so much. Uh, very good to catch up and hear hear where you are and your perspective on the on the portfolio. Uh, and we'll catch you at, at the end. Um, we're going to jump into a quick introduction video right now, and we'll be back to introduce the next panelists. Half of the energy in the world goes into electric motors. How do we make every watt of energy and electricity worthwhile? Climate change is the biggest challenge of our time, and we need to do everything in our power to reverse it. If we could replace every motor in the world with our technology, we could cut 25% of carbon emissions. We have done something incredible that many considered impossible until now. You start to look at this as a product that can save hundreds of thousands of lives and hundreds of millions of tons of CO2 going into the atmosphere. It would be the carbon equivalent of giving the world seven new Amazon rainforests.
Okay, great. Well, uh, with that, I'll introduce Marty from uh, Turntide, who is focused on helping to drive the digital transformation of building industry to drastically lower energy use and improve building operations. She spent 15 years in leadership roles in technology firms focused on the real estate and construction industry. And uh, Marty, I took from that that your sales funnel is every motor in the world. So that's pretty aspirational. So I know everybody wants to hear about that. <laughs> Thanks so much. Yeah. That's great. Thank you, everyone. Nice to meet you. Uh, as you saw from this uh, video, uh, you can see the Turntide. We are, as a company, uh, very much focused on breakthrough technologies that are going to drive sustainability. And, and very specifically, we have a, a mission to lower the amount of energy we use uh, across the globe. And in that mission, you know, it started with motors. We're now doing um, batteries, and we have uh, more of these types of technologies. The motors today are very focused on HVAC, but that will be uh, growing over time. Sort of meet the goal that you saw there in the video of of tackling every motor and making it a high efficiency motor. But our our mission, when we uh, when we look at these breakthrough technologies, we realize that we're in a world. And a, and a place in time that no matter what you sell, what type of equipment or even service or interaction, we all want it to be very easy to interact with. We want to be able to optimize it and we want to drive serviceability in a much more digital experience. And so we are taking every hardware breakthrough technology uh, that uh, Turntide delivers and wrapping it with a software and intelligence layer. And when we step back and we think about the portfolios of scale and you think about how many buildings you have and then you start counting the number of pieces of equipment that you have. So we have customers that have 16,000 sites across North America. Uh, just from an HVAC perspective alone, they have roughly about uh, 68,000 pieces of equipment in their portfolio. If we start looking at what they have for refrigeration, we are at almost 100,000 pieces of equipment. And so we firmly believe that software complementing this hardware is a way to drive efficiency and and doing that in a much more modern way the way that we interact our lives with that are mobile first that are remotely um, available easy to interact with and also interacting with other applications just like our banks will talk to our investment uh our investment applications and this uh this dilemma that large portfolio owners have with this mass amount of buildings, with this mass amount of equipment, you know, has many challenges that many of you that are attending, we don't have to rattle them off, you live them. But I want to highlight two, because certainly uh, COVID has changed a lot of things, but it, it really accelerated our labor problems. And uh, the labor challenges that we have in um, in the world or not just in uh, fast food retail. Um, we're finding it acute in the trades and the trade industries. And so the we see an acceleration of needing to use software and technology to help better manage these assets. Um, hopefully high efficiency assets make them more efficient, but then do a better job of being able to do whatever is that proper care and feeding of those assets. So labor is one of the big uh, pain point areas that we're um, extremely excited about attacking. I'm going to show a little of real world things that we can um, do there together. And then also, of course, energy. 
So energy is is a cost. We are uh, we see companies more and more uh, producing sustainability goals and really set, setting measures there. And it can't be just uh, uh, we love it when it's a, a replacement of our motor and driving a getting low hanging fruit energy savings, but really to sustain, right? Sustain is the key piece of that word sustainability. To do that, we have to pay attention to the maintenance and the and the proper operation of the asset. Otherwise, what we find time over time is the asset's going to work twice as hard, which means it uses twice as much energy to deliver on the the need. And for HVAC, it's going to be the comfort of our building, the comfort of the tenants. And so. Um, uh, picking out the two top pain areas that we see that we're addressing using software and intelligence is going to be on um, better optimizing labor and driving serviceability and also the energy saving side. And um, many of the panelists so far have talked about, you know, what we're really talking about here first and foremost, it is a, it is a, uh, a technology change. So Tom asked some questions about, you know, what kind of technologies do we find in buildings? By and large, our building management systems today are still built from the old era, the era where we had workstations underneath somebody's desk. It's probably in the basement. And we know from our own use of our, our, our PCs, it's not easy to store data there. If you try to crunch a lot of data at one time, your system is going to freeze up. And that's really the, the uh uh, exact opposite of what we need to be in a more software-driven, optimized world. So we think about all of our the web giants, um, Amazon knowing what we need to buy before we know we need to buy, and Netflix what we need to what what is good for us to watch or we'll be entertained with based on our taste. That type of intelligence and that type of insight is all driven by the cloud era. And so in the building community, we're, we are seeing a shift now, and I see it accelerating more in the past few years. But by and large, we're taking what was sort of a building management based on last year's computing model, the client server, and moving them into the cloud. So we can take the advantages that all the web giants have figured out how to apply to their businesses and bring that down to uh, buildings. And large portfolio buildings are going to be for sure some of the biggest, uh, uh, get the most advantage of that. And with that, we see a very simple path. Um, the concert part is our high efficiency technologies that will drop in like the motor. We're going to make sure that whatever we're doing, we're monitoring and controlling, not just that motor, but the entire asset. And then we're going to move on a path towards optimization and automating. The, the real place we want to get to is that when issues arise, it is self-healing. And that is uh, all available in, in the type of uh, software applications you can find out in the marketplace today. And um, as an example of, of success, you'll, uh, I'm happy to share, you know, one of our uh, favorite and best customers, Fifth Third Bank, has a portfolio of about a thousand branches, but the, not, not just small buildings, they have data centers, they have office towers, they have call centers. And we have been able to um, work with them over the past three years and find ways to drive down energy savings over, we're at we're calculated to 22% energy savings now, and we've actually cut their work orders down. The um, the last the truck rolls, the third-party expenses over 20%, which has been a major savings. And this is all using software to better identify issues and make sure that when 
when it's something is needed to be fixed, we're fixing it the first time. Um, and, and so I hope that that is a, a good news out to um, the audience today that, you know, without a lot of heavy lift, um, the technology are available today to make really significant changes in the portfolios, help you meet your carbon reduction goals, and also drop down some of those areas where you're you're either going to see costs rise as we see HVAC service costs rise because of the the lack of labor uh, and just be challenged to get somebody to address the issues you have in your buildings um, uh, period. So thank you. Uh, I'll go ahead and stop there, Tom, and let you uh, join. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. And a couple couple questions. I might do them rapid fire if you don't mind. But um, uh, yeah, one, quick, yeah, one one thing, quick clarifying. I want to get the property and facility managers off the cliff. Uh, when you said monitor and control, can you just kind of clarify in the context of property and facility management, what is what is your solution, or what do you mean by monitor and control? Yeah, we absolutely see if you have an asset today. I mean, look, we'll have watches in our arms that you that have the ability to have. Uh, sensing and, and management and capabilities. Uh, every asset that we have uh, in a building, the, it, there is an opportunity to make sure that it's managed and under control and done so in a remote manner. So no more just sort of stranded assets. Is the, that is not something that we need to do. Cost of technology, cost of connecting your equipment is all dramatically gone down. So we see that as a stage one must have. That's great. And then uh, if you, you kind of alluded to it, but if you have a large portfolio and a bunch of different systems, I mean, how in the world do you consider getting all those fragments up into sort of uh, what most people might consider an enterprise architecture, even though we know it's not exactly like the IT world, but how do you get started with, especially with when you're so embedded? Yeah. And this, this could, is going to remain to be the harder part of what anyone on this journey is going to attack. Because unlike the IT industry that has the advantage of swapping out PCs and network and routers to switches every two to three years, we have assets in that are, you know, pre-iPhone. Uh, and so a range of vintages, you know, you have chiller systems that have been in there for 20 years. And so we were, we see uh, portfolio owners are going to do this on a journey. And the journey will start with how do we the take first the assets that are more modern and plug them into this you know cloud world that usually we can all check the box on that that's that's pretty easy now um, and then what we're finding is there's a lot of tools in the toolbox to be able to take your older assets that might be dumb or semi-smart assets add some kind of control capability or some kind of connected capability and bring that in into a sort of cloud world um, so so in this that's community, all, that's all readily available today. That's great. And so in this community, there's for years been lots of talk about control systems and and uh, how they control and how they're integrated and 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 drivers and all those kind of things. And you talked about going into and optimizing a motor and and some of those things. So uh, really basic question, but does does your software go from that motor to you, or does it actually go through the control system? And what are the what are the issues there if it does? Oh, yeah, we can do both. So what we want to do is make sure that the uh, that the motor and the entire and the system that lives in is uh, that we're streaming data, we're identifying any kind of issues or anomalies, and being able to uh, 
implement action on that ASAP. And so in a world where there is a, a facility engineer who's on the wheel with a built, building automation system, we will um, enable that. And we can also send it up to the cloud and enable that for any of the other third party providers or the building owners. Mm. And maybe last question is, and how do you, uh, well, first of all, how do you connect to your own application, maybe even physically, I'm saying, through the internet or so forth, and how do you, and then if you can, in short, how do your service firms are kind of on the ground, how do they get into the spirit of this? I mean, they're usually focused on their system and their building, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's the most key. And what um, there's a, there's a large side of this about the people side. We really have to spend a lot of time getting process changes, breaking old habits, and moving more towards a mobile world. But really, it's it's this is the tool of choice on most text, most field. It's what do I have that, and it's it's not looking at dashboards in a monitoring system anymore. It's it's issues and alerts coming to your phone with two clicks. You can react to it. Uh, web browser. It's it's the way we live in our own world. That's fantastic, and th this is really a, a great dimension to this conversation because even though, like we all say, the portfolio and even a lot of service provider, you want to sort of get that enterprise view. And but it sounds like you can start kind of quietly embedded uh, and build towards that, which is which is not something we hear all the time. Marty, thanks so much for that. Thank you. Yeah, I think we're going to have uh, a uh, an introductory video, and I'll be right back with the introduction. Okay, great. Uh, uh, next up uh, is Chris uh, Mana from Willow, and uh, he is an experienced engineer and solution architect focused on the convergence of physical and digital solutions across a variety of industries. He is currently helping clients understand and deploy digital twins across their built, built assets as Willow's lead solution architect. Lead solution architect. Chris, I didn't get the LinkedIn notification. What's that? Sorry, Tom. No, really, Chris is uh, very experienced in, in this business and in a variety of different smart building um, aspects and uh, uh, also a friend. And Chris, look forward to hearing from this. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate the hype video and the uh, introduction there. You're, you're way too kind. And thanks just for having me uh, to speak to the community today. Really wanted to focus in on, on a topic that's certainly near and dear to my heart. I'm certainly having spent a lot of time with yourself, Tom. And, others in the industry from the engineering and consulting side and what it means to enable smart buildings at scale. Having the privilege now with Willow to actually look at this from a pure software platform and ontology standpoint to enable this and really drive the shift that we see here on the slide. Maybe just to kick off with a bit of a provocative statement. So what if I was to say that our ability to realize the 10 to 15% asset value increase, more effective fault detection and diagnostics, better troubleshooting and reporting 
was, was fundamentally a data problem. And by that, we've, we've done a great job in the industry going wide. We've collected more data than we ever have, more temperature data, more kilowatt hour information from meters, more damper positions. However, just as important as that, that breadth of data, we've sometimes forgot to go deep and really start to collect context more metadata and the relationships between those data sets to start to model the complexities of really the physical environments that we're trying to serve. I'm just playing this video here in the middle of the screen. This is just an example of, of that level of complexity. When we look at a building that has many spaces, those spaces are served by terminal units above the ceiling. Those terminal units are fed air by air hailing units. A central plant provides condition. We have electrical distribution that powers it, meters that monitor it, and, and the web grows from, from there. And really, this is the fundamental context to enabling you the use cases we see here on the right. When we're making a decision around smart buildings at scale, we're really making a decision around the data, how we collect it, and how we manage it. Traditionally, this whole concept of a graph data model was tied just directly to digital twins. I can't have this unless I don't have a, a once-in-a-lifetime capital event. I don't have a building information model. I don't have all the rich as-bills that allow me to create this. That's really been the challenge of the industry. So how do we take this foundation and apply it to more than just the new assets that we have given portfolios or vast combinations of existing assets, very complicated, simple, um, regional, global, and it really depends. So this is the foundation that we've really seen the industry and our clients pushing for. All right, second, second key pillar here. The, the idea of a clear commercial offer um, and a set of offerings, it's, it sounds simple to say, and it's just a call out to the fact we've really struggled to, to nail this in the industry. A, lo a lot of buildings are snowflakes, we know this. Solutions generally become very bespoke and the solution providers in the industry, the asset owners, sharing risk to enable scale is, is a big topic. How do we have transparency and productized offerings so we can actually understand what it means to go deep or to go a mile wide across a set of assets and then go, go deep um, on the ones that, that have kind of a special unique uh, value to that, that organization. As we've looked to the industry, our partners, um, certainly ourselves, we've seen that this idea of a baseline offering focused on three core integrations has really resonated. First, the fan favorite, the BMS, the, the system that monitor, monitors and controls primarily the most energy intensive HVAC assets, and where we spend a lot of our time actually you know, optimizing and, and maintaining our equipment. The second being the, the energy side of the equation could come from the BMS, could come from a set of energy meters, but effectively our ability to capture that, model it, simulate benchmark report, and then finally to capture the work performed against those assets from work order, ticketing systems, computerized maintenance management systems, that is, that is a foundational truth across many buildings. And in this example, buildings X, Y, and Z here. That, that creates a really rich foundation for that graph we saw on the previous page. Of course, no journey at scale stops there, right? We're, we've integrated those three, we're done. The ability to go deep where maybe building X in this scenario, uh, recently modernized, has a building information model, we can bring spatial context and build out that graph even more. Occupancy of course, is, is paramount across a portfolio, cyber. Um, these, these topics across scale and to know how we get there building on that foundation is something we've just struggled at in the industry and need to nail. 
And then finally, we we frankly just cannot get to that scale. And, and Raj hit on this, and Kathy pointed it out. Uh, Tom, you said it. An ecosystem approach is is fundamental. There, companies can be so good at that that data model. They might be really good at tenant experience, but those that are investing in a core foundation at scale really want to know an ecosystem is going to come and form around that. This could be brick schema, real estate core ontology. In Willow's case, digital twin definition language and the ecosystem around Azure digital twins. But we are finally seeing in the industry a productization of integrations based on a set of ontologies. Um, throwing out some, some big words here to really enable more of a plug and play framework that takes hardware, software, integration and use case to life, not just on one asset where you can't repeat it, but across any number of assets where you might want to drive that occupancy use case, deploy sensors and, and receive an outcome. Ultimately, when you, you pull all three of these, these concepts together, uh, that is what the industry and, and our customers and our partners are looking for to enable scale. And this is all about understanding, maintaining, and optimizing the built environment. Probably couldn't underscore uh, the term understand there, just really as a callback to that, that graph. And are we collecting the right information and going deep to actually really understand our buildings, just like those that have been maintaining our assets for a very long time have that institutional knowledge on how the air systems work, how they connect to electrical distribution. That fundamental understanding is what we need to drive an operational performance, benchmark, compare assets across portfolios, and hit on some of those more unique personas that get elevated beyond just your typical building operations team. All right, Chris, thank you so much. And um, uh, a bunch of questions, of course, given given the, the space that you're in. So a couple of them are going to be kind of you've heard them before. But if you don't mind, first, first of all, you know, as you know, no phrase like digital twin has been so uh, created so much excitement and misunderstanding since the word green <laughs> or smart. Right. I mean, and so I appreciate you clarifying that. And just to that end, a lot of people think, you know, digital twin is sort of a BIM model, right? It's just sort of an architectural tool. And, um, you know, first of all, can you, can you, can you speak to that and say it is, or it isn't, or it requires that or doesn't require that just to get that out of the way? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a great question. I mean, the easy answer is it, it doesn't require it. I know we've, we've tied in the industry, this idea of building lifecycle, building information modeling as a process tied to authoring tools such as, as Revit, as being the, the natural place when we're going through this, this major capital event to start to collect the foundation. What, what is the data I want? When I am building a, a, a model on the engineering side, how do I connect these systems and, and describe them? So when we move to operations, we are able to actually leverage that information and ingest it into operations. Uh, we hear that upwards of 90% of, of the information captured and modeled in the design and construction phase just goes unused in operations. 30% lost, whether it's on a SharePoint site no one has access to or you know the Revit file um, is, is sitting on a drive that the time you don't have access to and, and you don't have Revit on your computer. So that is how the, the whole concept of, of twinning started is bring that building information model into, into operations. Uh, fundamentally, the, the reason why I wanted to spend time talking about that graph 
that underpins a lot of what a digital twin is. How do we digitally replicate the complexities of our environments? We don't have to have a BIM to do that. Uh, it's, it's any number of things such as building management system integrations, as-built documentation, interviews with, with really smart people who, who just know their assets inside and out. So you don't have to nail the twin right off the bat perfectly the first time. That, that graph can grow and, and to set that foundation and have it grow over time. Um, does not require does not require BIM, and it, it certainly can be applied to existing assets. No, that's that's helpful, and and also, um, you know, we all know that real estate is probably the most fragmented industry of of any. And uh, sometimes uh, I heard people early on saying, well, you know, digital twins are cool, but it takes such alignment and tightness that you must have almost this. Uh, unattainable you know alignment but i've heard you say that it actually helps with the problem is that is that is fragmentation your friend or your enemy here um well yeah i mean fr fragmentation and the complexities of, of what you have to bring together to to create a twin is is something that is you know people process technology right the the twin isn't the magic bullet it doesn't uh doesn't just bring the right people together the right data sources um, Fragmentation is natural, but the the ability to have a, a collective organization understand that my ability to report on ESG is fundamentally going to be only as good as understanding where this data is coming from. Is is this meter? Is this KWH value I'm looking at tied to what type of distribution panel? Tied to what tenant? So once you start realizing well, we're all we're all asking our buildings for the same information. Different personas have different outcomes and different goals are looking at depending on where they sit in an organization. But the, the the twin, that source of truth should be where the fragmentation gets broken down and everybody can can execute the work they have to in the different aspects of your portfolio, property management team, building operations. But but that should be the place that everybody looks and says, yeah, I'm, I'm maintaining these assets that are connected to each other. When you report on them, you should be reporting with the same fundamental understanding I use to maintain them. Yeah, and then one one quick one from the audience here is that is it fair to say that digital twin is really a, uh, a more robust way to deal with data, whether it's visual or not visual? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's I, I threw out some terms there earlier: real estate core ontology, um, an ontology being just a collection of models, and and we. We apply models to many things, right? In, in science, we, we model biology, we model the rainforest. And, and yeah, this is a way of taking your spatial context, your static data and your live data and really giving it relationship and context. And it, it starts there. Uh, it's not to be forgotten or, or confused with, digital twin min, means this big, awesome 3D rendering we can zoom around and turn off layers on. Uh, that's an outcome you might drive for for building X in that scenario where you have, you know, geometry, you have an as-built. Um, but fundamentally, it's it's the it's the data that is even used by that that three D representation. So you have to have the data first. You have to have the context. You have to have that model, and then you can go crazy on top. Well, I think it's I think I appreciate that. And I think it's just really exciting that that something as powerful as Digital Twin has now kind of come out of its uh, uh, shell of BIM and and architecture and project kind of only mindset into into a more of a portfolio perspective. Thank you so much for that, Chris. Thanks, Tom. Okay, next uh, we're going to have Shahar from Prescriptive Data, and uh, while he's 
popping on. There we go. I'll just uh, introduce him as he currently serves as the VP of product at Prescriptive Data, where he leads product strategy, road mapping, and feature execution on Prescriptive Data's flagship product, Nantum OS. And uh, a lot of you in the industry know that they, uh, in terms of the scale question, they they started small by taking on New York City, uh, and then and but they've but they've gone beyond that. So look forward, uh, Shahar, to your perspective on the scale today. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. Great to be on this uh, web webinar and this panel uh, discussion. Uh, prescriptive data, Thomas, and is a smart building artificial intelligence company where our platform Nantum uh, OS connects to all the different data points within the building or that are relevant to the building, whether it's the VMS, submeters, meters, occupancy sensors, IQ sensors, and other data that is relevant to the building uh, to automate building operations. Uh, we then use uh, machine learning and AI algorithms to identify trends and correlations within the uh, data and to prescribe and take actions on these uh, findings to reduce the operational costs and uh, uh, the energy and the carbon footprint of the building. Doing all of this while maintaining the comfort uh, uh, of the tenants within the building. So some of the most common questions that we get in our interactions with building owners as they look to, to scale and, and develop uh, their smart building uh, or smart portfolio strategy is first, okay, um, you know, I'd like to turn my real estate portfolio into a smart and intelligent one, but where do I actually start? And then once I start, how can I actually trust machine learning and artificial intelligence to actually take control of my buildings and my portfolio? And lastly, is it actually worth it going through this uh, journey? So I'll try and address these uh, three questions uh, in, in the upcoming slides. So first, where do you start? Well, it all begins with uh, data. And the three main data points or the crucial data points needed is first, the, uh, in, in your real estate strategy, is first the meter data uh, within your building, occupancy and people counting, and then the data points coming out of your BMS uh, and HVC systems. The first data point, as I mentioned, is the meter data. Electric, steam, gas, water, whatever is available uh, um, in this building. And you'd want to get that data in real time, but also going back and get the historical uh, data as well. Once you have this meter data uh, going into a single platform, you're able to already realize a, a number of uh, immediate benefits. You're able to visualize, uh, you're able to manage your energy as well as your carbon footprint all in one place. You know, first thing is to know how your building is performing, where you are, where you're at uh, today. You can't improve on something that you don't measure and know where you are. Then you can actually have ML and AI algorithms on the data to start providing you with prediction as how your buildings will behave. Now, this is especially important as we're starting to look at uh, uh, different laws uh, implemented with fines, and you want to start being able to take actions today to avoid those fines uh, in the future. Machine learning and AI algorithms can then provide you with alerts and notifications, so you're able to actually jump ahead of potential outages and malfunctions before they actually um, happen. And last, ML and AI 
algorithms can process the data, clean the data, and actually correct the data to make sure that you're basing your strategy. And as it was mentioned before, your reporting and, and, and other aspects on actual data and correct The next data point is occupancy and people counting. There are a number of ways that you could actually count people within buildings, whether through the access control, dedicated occupancy sensors, uh, Wi-Fi, as well as others listed in, on, 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 these, uh, on this slide. It's important to find the most cost-effective solution for the building that addresses the goals that we're looking to achieve. And keep in mind that, uh, you can actually use a, um, a combination of these different uh, uh, solutions. Now, when you're coming to deploy this across your portfolio, it's very likely that each building might need a different solution than the other. But being able to normalize and bring all this data into a single uh, platform across your portfolio leads to a number of uh, immediate benefits just such as being able to track the return to work across your portfolio, being able to understand the utilization of different amenities and spaces within your building, and of course, the um, optimization of the operations throughout your buildings and portfolio. The third data point is the BMS data. Integrating your BMS and HVAC systems into a single platform allows you to achieve a number of benefits. One, you're able to visualize in a single pane of glass all the different BMS points across your portfolio. And again, keep in mind that across portfolios, we often encounter different BMS systems from different vendors. So being able to bring that all into one platform, into one single pane of glass is an immediate uh, win in that regard. ML and AI algorithms are able to score the health of the equipment, identify anomalies, and alert and notify to prevent malfunctions before they, they occur. So you're able to maintain high availability uh, of your uh, systems within your building. ML and AI algorithms can correlate data points, recommend actions, and operate your building in a much more efficient way. Um, and when you're ready, you're actually able to transform these recommendations for the uh, ML and AI to actually take uh, the command and control uh, of these actions. So let's take a look at some of these uh, recommendations and automations that the ML and AI algorithms operating on these data sets can, can bring. So ML and AI can, based on this, these type of data points, can recommend or automate when you want to start your building or when you need to start your building based on how the building behaves from a thermal perspective, when your SLAs are, when you, people come into uh, the building and what's the weather on this specific day. Just uh, you know, operating or starting your building at the precise time can achieve significant savings. AI and ML could recommend or operate or automate the midday ramps. People go out to lunch. Let's predict and learn, let's learn and predict when people go out to lunch. We're able to ramp down the systems uh, to conserve energy. Uh, but also to achieve better comfort when people come back uh, from lunch, not coming back to a freezing cold office as sometimes um, happens. And the same for the end of day ramp. Based on the ML and AI, learning the, the building thermal inertia as well as when occupants typically 
uh, leave, as well as the weather data, you're able to start shutting down equipment towards the end of the day and then optimal uh, time to, to reach um, the most optimized savings. The ML and AI can automatically prevent you from creating new peak demand uh, charges. So you're not only saving energy, but you're also saving dollars from that perspective. No one really wants to create a, a new peak demand at, at the last days of a, of a billing period. The, the AI and ML could perform automated demand response. That way you're increasing your demand response revenues while making it much easier for your operational teams to run demand response programs because it does it for you. And the list goes on and on as you can see here. As I mentioned, we do encounter the question of, can I trust ML and AI to operate in, mo in, in my buildings? Now, if we look at other industries, AI and ML was new to the finance industry roughly 15 years ago or so. And now literally every financial firm leverages ML and AI without questioning it for a second. The commercial real estate world is going through that uh, journey. We're still in, in the early days of that journey, but that journey starts by first, let's understand what the company challenges and goals are for the different uh, departments. We can then integrate that, that data and start using machine learning and AI in a soft sense, meaning let machine learning and AI help you with tagging and managing of your uh, different data points. Let the AI and, and ML help you with reporting, creating data for, for, for that reporting. The next phase is to gain the trust of the building um, operation team with, uh, by letting the ML and AI identify anomalies for them. So, you know, late at night, uh, they can sleep better at night knowing that there is a system that identifies uh, these anomalies uh, for them, uh, whether it's an equipment, a water leak that could uh, make its way into the uh, elevator pier, or whether it's identifying unusual occupancy late at night that you actually need to maintain uh, comfort levels for. And at that point, we can get to building the trust on, uh, on actual actions that the ML and AI. First, uh, starting by recommendations that the ML and AI provide for the building operations team to uh, reduce the energy and the carbon footprint. As, as they implement those recommendations, that trust is built. And at some point, the point uh, it, it reaches a point where these building operate, uh, operation people trust this, the ML and AI enough to actually let, let it take control. Sometimes this journey is longer, sometimes this journey is shorter, but, um, and, and the good thing, or you know, each building or each portfolio can take this journey at their own speed and can stop or pause or stay longer each of these uh, phases. Now, is this journey all worth it? You know, that's a question that we often get as well. And I think the, the answer is, is very clear and strong, yes. If we take a look at Rudin Management and, and their portfolio, NYSERDA has been tracking um, the energy performance across eight of the uh, New York City Rudin uh, 
buildings uh, through 2012 and 2018. And this is bef before and after Nantum OS was deployed uh, within that portfolio. And over the difference between the before and the after, uh, over $5 million of savings were achieved using the machine learning and AI energy conservation measures within the portfolio, and 44% of carbon reductions were achieved. Yes, it is a journey, but as you can see here, it is a journey that's worth going on and joining. Tom? Uh, thanks very much, Shahar. And a couple questions, uh, if you don't mind. And a uh, quick note to the rest of the panelists. So we'll, uh, you can come back on with your cameras while I specifically talk to Shahar for a second. But also, if you'd consider, um, folks, uh, like a 30-second uh, uh, close, if you'd want a, re a recommendation that you would give the audience for scale. But Shahar, you, you mentioned AI a lot of times. And you know, Marty helped me get the property managers off the edge of the cliff. And so I want to ask you sort of a similar question. You know, um, sometimes in the facility environment, people think AI says, you know, it, it, it should be, you know, the air conditioning should be on and I say it should not. Yeah. So how do you, how do you, what have you dealt with that sort of cultural concern and, and how do you tell them it's good and it's not going to, you know, not going to conflict with you? Yeah. And this is your question is all about building that trust, right? Mm -hmm. um, yep. So, the way we typically handle, we don't, first of all, running through or using the machine learning and AI, providing recommendations, allow the building operators to first see what the recommendation is. We go through a process while we talk to the building operators and we actually like them to provide us with feedback uh, to us back. Was the recommendation correct? Uh, you know, what do, would you have any concerns about that recommendation uh, and implementing it? And through that uh, time period of where we issue or the machine learning and AI issues recommendations, the operators, you know, take a look at the recommendation. They can choose not to implement it, but more, most importantly, they give us feedback on it or they have the opportunity to provide feedback on it. That's a back and forth process where the trust is, um, is built and eventually uh, gets them to a point where they trust it and, and embrace it and, and love it. Yeah, and one more. And then, so you mentioned also the three types of data, and I'm just trying to play, uh, you know, prospect for, for everybody on this call that I want to do this, but what if I don't have all of that data? What if I don't know how to get it? Does that mean I'm not a candidate yet? No, not, not at all. I think uh, you started off saying, uh, or in your introduction, you can start small and, and, and then scale. You can start with just your meter data, being able to measure and see where you are right now and, and, and uh, track that against uh, different ESG goals that you have. You can start with occupancy. You know, at some time through the pandemic, uh, occupancy was the biggest thing or at some other point, uh, indoor air quality was the biggest. You can start wherever, uh, you know, your goals are on the immediate term are, as well as what you currently have within your building already. Yep. So, yeah, that uh, makes, I mean, that makes sense. So you, 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 you can get started. I, I, I appreciate that. I'm going to ask uh, Kathy a, a, a general question. And then like, like I said, I would like to just everybody to give your, um, you know, sort of, um, thoughts on, on what, what the audience should consider taking away from this. But uh, Kathy, is there, is there somebody that, 
that you would say at a portfolio level, is there some a title or a position or a role that would manage, you know, a portfolio, uh, you know, sort of smart data or smart real estate strategy, or is that still forming? Yeah, so um, uh, so multiple roles really, because you you need a lead for real estate, um, which digital building lead or you know whatever you want to, mm-hmm. and then you need IT side um, as well, and uh, different types of IT depending on how your organisation is structured. So um, so yes, it's definitely um, needed, and I guess the key as well is that that role covers technology as well as people, processes, and policy. Yeah, that's a great thought, and 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 just a quick point on that, and then we're going to go down the line. Um, I've seen that also where it's it's literally a new title or a new role or a new description. Um, and that's something to consider for the audience out there that it, this is very doable. It can be an inch deep and a mile wide. You can use what you have. You can get started. But somebody uh, has to be accountable for doing something with it or making sense of it or making decisions from it. So maybe I'll start with uh, Marty, if you just want to give a few thoughts of recommendations to the audience for scale. Uh, you're muted, Marty. Thank you. So what we've learned is that scale doesn't happen overnight. It usually is part of the journey. It took us three years to get in all 400 uh, Nordstrom and Nordstrom Rack. It took us two and a half years to get into 650 Fifth Third Banks. And mapping out the people journey, the resources and teams who are going to be using this technology and their new workflows along that journey because it's very different when you have 300 connected buildings to when you have 3,000 connected buildings. And so we found these checkpoints along the way and we've learned what when when a new team or when you start layering on and how we uh, efficiently change the way FM moves from sort of traditional FM to virtual FM and service moves from traditional truck roll service to virtual service and virtual preventative maintenance. So I, I would highly recommend that you map out both the time frame of what when you get all enabled as well as the people flow. That's great. New so it will look different. And uh, briefly, Raj, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, so as uh, uh, Marty mentioned, it's a journey, right? And everybody touched upon it and start somewhere. And uh, traditionally, uh, people uh, have actually thought about a single building and replicating that. Uh, start with one building, right? So I would probably say like starting taking the mile wide approach and seeing how deep you can go one step at a time. You can start with one. That's fantastic. Perfect. Yeah. One bite at a time. Shahar, quickly. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, just to riff on that, you can start wherever your goals are uh, and then skip, right? So don't try and solve what you're not actually need to solve today, but start with where you can solve what you need to solve today, what your goals are today, and then scale, make sure that- I think that's that's good. Your own self-interest is okay. And how about you, Chris? I mean, scale is a a word to define sometimes, right? Scale could mean regional scale. It could mean nine buildings in a a specific geography. So once you look at scale and, and start to see who surrounds those properties, the jobs they have to do, you start to really realize they're all operating on a foundational set of, of data. So I would just recommend d- double down on the, the data set that people are using to make decisions, whether it's reporting, asset depreciation, or maintenance management. They are they are looking at a common data set, and that is the foundation to start to, whether you're scaling That's- one, 10, 100. Chris, data brings us all together. That was just, that was making me misty. 
There you go. <laughs> just teasing. A lot of fun, guys. Thanks so much. And Chuck, uh, sorry we're 30 seconds late. But back no, to you. you're good. Thanks, uh, Tom. And, and thanks to all the panelists for your contributions today. Um, and, and did I mention to the audience, you may want to be taking notes, but <laughs> there was a lot of information there. Good news, too. You get a link to the recording of this uh, webinar just in a couple of days. And for our live audience and those watching this recording, thank you for tuning in and be sure to check out Friday's broadcast of Realcom Live. It's 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Europe, where Jim Young, Jim Young will interview Raul Bami and Jesse Blakely about the Lake Nona Wave Hotel. If you don't know what that's about, tune in and you'll find out. Uh, our next webinar starts uh, the Innovation Tech Stack Series, airing April 28th, one week from today, focusing on creating a comprehensive digital infrastructure. And finally, be sure to go to realcom.com to register for the Realcom IBCOM conference in Orlando. That's June 15th and 16th with a golf outing and pre-conference events earlier in the week. I'm sure many of the people you've seen on this panel will be there. I hope to see you there as well. That's it for us today. We wish you well. Be safe. Thanks again.